1 Corinthians 12, and reading from verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. But the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body." The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are in the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And we'll end our reading there. Now, the church at Corinth has long been associated with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that for good reason, of course. And uh, the section that we've read together finds itself in the middle of a bigger section which deals with those very issues, namely the gifts of the Spirit, chapters 12 and 14 with 13 sandwiched between them. So, in the middle of this discussion on spiritual gifts, uh, Paul draws on the analogy of the human body, which was a fairly common analogy uh, in antiquity. I think it's fair to say that apart from Jesus, there was no greater master of uh, illustrative material than the Apostle Paul, his writings as you make your way through, his letters are full of uh, pictures, similes, metaphors, 
and illustrations of one manner or another. And even when it comes to describing the church, you find this rich array of pictures that he, that he draws on. For instance, uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, he describes the church as a building, the temple of God. In Acts 20, 28, he describes it as a flock. It's the, it's the flock of God. In Ephesians 2.19, he describes it as a family. We are the household of God. The picture which he uses here in 1 Corinthians 12, I think, is one of the richest metaphors that he uses to describe the church in his writings. And the common denominator that I detect in each of these pictures that I've mentioned to you is the whole issue of plurality. One sheep doesn't make a flock, and one brick doesn't make a building, and one person doesn't make a family. Uh, Alongside you, you need either parents or siblings. You need someone to help you out with the whole issue of family or household. And one arm doesn't make a body. It's only when there is a plurality of sheep that there is a flock, and it's only when there are multiple body parts that there is a body. And so it is with the Christian church. It takes a plurality of believers to make up the church. We may have been converted as individuals, but we are called out, we are called upon rather, to live out our lives in community as Christians with other Christians. And together with those other Christians, we make up the body of Christ. The community dimension to our new life in Christ is not an optional extra. It is something that we are obliged to engage with, this whole idea of community. Other members of the body, if we are interrelated and interconnected and interdependent, then other members of the body depend on us, fulfilling our role and our function. And if we don't, then they will suffer, and we will be robbing the church of something we have no right to rob the church of. So this is not something that we can kind of check in and check out of ad hoc or at will. It is something that is an obligation for us. We are to live out our lives as Christians within community, the community of believers, other believers. The problem in Corinth that was emerging and which Paul had caught wind of is really twofold. First of all, there was a group of people in the church of Corinth who felt inferior and who actually felt as if they didn't really belong. They felt like I don't really matter here. I'm on the fringe here. If I wasn't here, no one would care less. And, and they felt as if they didn't really belong. That's one problem that caught, Paul has caught wind of. The other problem, and you pick this up throughout the letter as you make your way through it, and that is that there were a few people in the church at Corinth who felt they were the church. The church evolved around them. They were the central figures in the church. The church was all about them. And you pick that up at various intervals, not least here in this um, section. And what Paul wants his readers uh, to see in this passage, 
What he wants them to see more than anything else is the importance of one another. The importance of one another. He wants them to grasp the importance of interdependence as opposed um, to independence. Now, three things that I want to try and pull out of this text, if I can. Uh, I want us, first of all, just to tease some principles out of the picture of which he draws and some principles that will come to us from this text that we've read. I want, secondly, to look at how this picture then um, is applied to the two scenarios that I've just described, those who felt inferior and those who felt a little bit superior. So, we'll think a little bit about that later. Um, and then, finally, for a, just to wind things up, we, we'll look at some practicalities that Paul leaves them with at the end of the chapter. And you could spend a lot longer on the practicalities, but as I said earlier in the first service, Robin would never let me preach again if I camped on all of them, so I'm going to pick up on two, and then we'll all go home for lunch. So first of all, the picture, the metaphor of the body is a fairly straightforward metaphor. You don't really need to be a genius or a rocket scientist uh, to understand it, but what, it is, what is important to understand is that Paul is not merely giving a lecture on human anatomy. There are other settings where that's appropriate. This is not necessarily one of them. Instead, he is giving a lecture on theology, the theology of the church to this congregation that met together in Corinth. And there are a few things that strike me about the picture that he uses and some of the things that he says in and around that picture. The first issue that strikes me, and it maybe should have been the second, but it's the first, is the whole issue of diversity. And that point is made throughout the passage, not just in verse 12, um, where, I'm, uh, where I've picked it up from, but throughout the passage, and it struck me again as we read it together, how frequently he makes this point. He says, a body, though one, has many parts. And he says that repeatedly. A body has got many parts. And that's obvious in itself, isn't it? Uh, a body has hands, feet, legs, arms, it's got eyes, it's got a nose, it's got lungs, it's got a heart, it's got a digestive system, and on and on the list might go. And each of these components of the body, each of these members of the body uh, is unique, they are distinctive, and for the most part they are irreplaceable. You just can't come up with a new heart. Uh, very easily. It's also worth, I think, throwing into the mix here the point that we made at the beginning, and that is that it takes multiple body parts uh, to make a body. A leg is not a body, an arm is not a body, an eye is not a body. It takes numerous limbs and organs to make a body, and so it is with the church. The church is an amalgamation of different people with different personalities and different gifts, it would be easy, wouldn't it? If the church was full of people who were just identical to me, be a bit scary actually for me, but you might find it easy. But the truth is the church isn't full of people who are identical to me. It's a body which is made up of different parts. The leg does not look the same as the arm. The hand is not identical to the foot. There might be similarities. They might fulfill different, similar sort of functions, but they are different. 
And that's the point that Paul is trying to make. The church is made up of big people and small people and every size in between. There are loud and obnoxious people in the Christian church, and then there are shy and timid people. There are educated people, and there are those who have virtually no education whatsoever. There are people uh, with all kinds of gifts in the Christian church. There are people who are brilliant working with children and who can go in behind these doors and and, uh, explain Bible stories to children in a way that keeps them spellbound. But if the rest of us went in there with the children, the children would come running out after about 10 minutes, having been bored uh, silly. There are people who have got musical gifts, and as they play their instruments and lead us in worship, we feel our hearts, don't we, being drawn out in worship and adoration as we contemplate and exalt the the greatness of God. There are people who are great at fixing things. They're incredibly practical around a building like this. We used to have a team in the church that I served as minister that uh, just went around the community fixing things for people. And in the process, they would just talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel and share the love of God with other people. Then there are other people who can't fix things very well because they're too busy minding just little kids and their young mums but they can do stuff that the rest of us can't do. They can organize a mums and tots uh, meeting and sit and drink coffee and watch kids play. But if somebody like, like me showed up at that, people would start to panic and worry what in the world's happening to our mums and tots group. The body of Christ is made up of many parts, and each of the parts have a different function. It's interesting that he makes the point in verse 13 that uh, not only are they diverse, these body parts, in terms of their giftedness, but also in relation to their social makeup. He says, um, in verse 13, he says that Jew and Gentile, people who had been brought, born again, or who, people who had been converted, whatever terminology you like to use, but people who had been converted from a Jewish background, and then people who had uh, been in the temple and who sat with the Old Testament on their laps, and then there were people who had been um, converted from the temple of Epaphrodite in, in Corinth and wandered in uh, into the Christian church with all of their baggage, but come from different backgrounds, come from completely different cultures, completely different social makeup. There were slaves and slave owners sitting side by side in the church as equals. Some of them may have struggled with that, but it was a fact. Not only were there Jew and Gentiles, but there were slave and free, patron and client. There were senators and those who voted for them. There were people who who had pavements laid in their honor, and there were people who laid those pavements, sitting in church on Sunday morning as equals, brothers and sisters in the family of faith. And that is diversity, isn't it? The church in the 21st century consists of people from Africa and Asia and Europe and Britain. The church has rich people and poor people, people who have been successful in business and people who are struggling to make ends meet and keep a roof over their heads. The church has got young people and old people. It's got married people and single people. And not everybody has to fit into my box. 
There are those who have gone to a private school, and then there are those who go to a state school. The church is made up of people from every walk of life because this is the church, and it's a body, and it's made up of different parts. The the church is a place where differences are embraced and celebrated. The church is a place where we realize we don't all need to be the same. The church is a place where we realize that we are different by design because we've got different roles to fill. Some people cannot stand diversity, so they go to a church where everybody's skin is the same color or where everybody dresses identically the same. But if the church is a body, and if it's made up of people from different social backgrounds and different forms and levels of giftedness, isn't diversity something that we can celebrate and embrace? We don't all have to be the same. You don't need to be a brilliant musician to attend Chalmers or to be an effective part of Chalmers. You don't need to be a brilliant preacher to come to this church and benefit from its ministry and take an active part in its, uh, in its work. There's a ton of things to be done around this church and in the ministry and in the outreach and in the work of this church. So the first thing is diversity. The second thing is unity. The body may have many parts, he says, but it is one, and he makes that point again repeatedly throughout the passage. It's one body. It's a single unit. The church may consist of people who have been converted from Judaism and from paganism. Some of the members of the church may have been slaves, some of them slave owners. Some may have been gifted at in preaching, some of them would have been far better staying out of the pulpit. Some of them, as I said earlier, had footpaths in Corinth named in their honor, financed by their own funds. Others were involved in the laying of those footpaths and couldn't dream, would never dream of having a footpath named in their honor in the city. But the fact remained, these people were one They were one, absolutely one. They were a single unit. One of the things that has been ingrained in us in this Western society within which we live is individualism. We're instilled with it almost from our earliest of years. You need to learn to stand on your own two feet. You can't look to other people for help. And that's fine as far as it goes. But when taken to extremes, it robs us of a sense of community. And that is largely why you've got so many lonely, lonely people in a city like Edinburgh, which is teeming with people. It's because we drive into our drives and we get out of our cars as quickly as we can and straight into our house and we shut the gates to keep the world out and we shut the doors to keep the world out and we live these individualistic lives. But what takes place in society must not shape the church. While we were brought to faith as individuals, we must not and cannot live out our faith as individuals. We are to live out our faith as interdependent members of a body. So if we are one, and if we are an amalgamation of interrelated, interdependent body parts, then God wants us to say no to individualism and yes to attachment and yes to community, 
and yes to involvement. If we are interdependent body parts, then other body parts depend on us. The rest of my body depended on my feet to get me here. And if they didn't play their part, the rest of the body would still be sitting at home. And that's the reality in the context of the church. We are one, interdependent, interconnected. And all of us have to play our part or others will suffer. I hear people on a regular basis, not in this church, but in the churches that I have served, come to me and say, well, I don't really belong. I want to say to you, you do belong. You do belong in this church. We're in this together. We need each other. We depend on each other. That's the way that God has designed it. I can't do it all by myself. I need your gifts to complement my gifts, and together we make up the body of Christ. Here is the third thing that I want to pick up on. It's it's identity. Verse 12, he says, as the body has many parts and remains one, so it is with Christ. Now, that is surprising, isn't it? As the body has many parts, it remains one, so it is with Christ. We wouldn't have expected him to have written that. We would have expected him to have written, so it is with the church, because he's talking about the church. He's discussing the church. But here he says, so it is with Christ. And it's clear that he is substituting the word Christ for church. And the point that he is making is that Christ and his people are inextricably linked. We are not just a body of people that show up on a Sunday morning, Sunday evening at our small groups and at our house groups and at our prayer times. We are the body of Christ. That's the point that he is trying to make. How does Jesus make himself known throughout the world? He does it through his body, which is the church. Think about this for one minute. It's a little thought that I picked up from Bittlinger in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. Not much else in it, but this was really helpful. Um, When Jesus was on earth, he had a human body. He had hands with which he reached into the broken and hurting and the wounded and ministered to. He had feet that carried him. He had a voice so that he could give voice to the good news of the kingdom, and he had feet that carried that message to different parts of Galilee and down into Judea. But in the 21st century, how does Jesus carry out his work on earth? Through his body. And who is his body? We are his body. It's our hands that Jesus uses to reach out to those who are wounded and broken and hurting. It's our feet that will carry the gospel into the streets around this city, into our workplaces, amongst our families. It's our voices that will give voice to the good news that there is a God who cares, that there is a Savior who came, that there is a Jesus who can forgive and and, and who can secure reconciliation with the Father. It's our voice. Jesus carries on His work through our voice, through our body, through us. We are the church we are his body. There's huge uh, responsibility in that, but the point I think which Paul is trying to make is, is not so much about responsibility, it's about identity. We're not just a group of people that come together for social reasons. We're not a book club 
that we all sort of like this book and we come together to discuss it. We're more than a book club. We've come together in Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are in Christ. Somewhere on life's journey, we were arrested by God's grace. Somewhere along life's journey, Jesus broke into our lives and changed us and transformed us and set us off in a new direction. And somehow, on the journey of life, we became part of Christ's body. And our relationship with each other centers on Him. That's why the old and young sit by side, sit side by side in church, old people and young people. That's why they've got something in common. And what they have in common is that they don't both wear converse. What they have in common is Christ. Their fellowship is based around Him. That's what unites them. That's what keeps them together. That's what brings them together. We are the body of Christ. I used to have a group of friends who belonged to a country club in in Canada, and they were able to go and do things at the country club, play tennis, swim in the pools, down in the lake. And uh, they used to talk together about the club, and I used to constantly remind them, I can't talk to you folks about that because I'm not in the club. I'm just a poor minister. (laughs) But I am in Christ, and so are they, and so are you. And that's what unites us, and that's what brings us together. And I want you to take this with you this week, wherever you go. I want you to remember that whoever you meet, you're the body of Christ. Jesus wants to work through you, is working through you. And the last thing that I want you to think about in relation to this is equality. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Now, some people have taken this to refer to a post-conversion experience. I don't. I think it's impossible to be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 8, uh, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You cannot be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. It's a package deal. It just doesn't work. You can't be revolutionized by the gospel without without the Holy Spirit's work in your life. It's impossible. So, what does this refer to? I think it refers to the fact that when we became Christians, we were baptized by the Spirit in the sense that the Spirit came to indwell us, to revolutionize us, um, to empower us, to equip us, to enable us, to set us in a new direction. We were baptized in the Spirit into the into the body of Christ, which is the church. That, that was our conversion experience. And the point, I think, which Paul wants to make here is he wants these Christians to see the rich and the poor, the slave and the slave owner, the slave owner who's despising the slaves. He wants them to, say, to see, listen, we all partake of the same Holy Spirit, and we all belong to exactly the same body, the body of Christ. You don't belong to a different body than I belong to. We belong to the same spiritual body, the body of Christ. And the same Holy Spirit that empowers and enables you to live the Christian life, that brought you to faith, that gave you grace, the same Spirit that did that for you did that for me. 
We're absolutely united in our Christian experience. That's the point, I think, which Paul is trying uh, to make. The Christian church is a level playing field, isn't it? I remember uh, in my early days as a minister, I uh, was talking to a gentleman one day, and he was talking about folks that were new to the church. And, and uh, it, I, I had, we were part of a church that, that was uh, growing, and some folks had come to church. And this older person was struggling a bit with it. And he, I remember so clearly he said to me, oh, they're just blow-ins. <laughs> and I felt like saying to him, yeah, and so are you. We're all just blow-ins. And we were blown in by the same Holy Spirit into exactly the same church, into the body of Christ. And all of us are the same. How does all of this then relate to the problems that he wants to discuss? Two things. First of all, in relation to inferiority then, verses 15 to 21. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand... I don't belong to the body. Would it stop for that reason being part of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. What if the whole body were an eye, he says. Verse 17, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So, he seems to be talking here to people who feel that they have no value. They are of no value. They have no real contribution to make because they're not like them over there. Their foot, their feet, they're not hands. Their eyes, they're not ears. They wish that they were ears. Maybe some of the folks in the church at Corinth were unhappy with who God had made them and the gifts that God had given to them. You get a sense of that throughout the letter, but not least here, where the foot wants to be a hand. It's not happy to be a foot. It's a bit like Christmas, and you go to your mother-in-law's house for Christmas Day, and out come the presents, and your wife gets a brand new iPad, and you get a pair of socks that you can hardly even wear. They're that disgusting looking. Sorry, (laughs) mother-in-law. My mother-in-law always buys me nice socks. But you need socks, don't you? You can't keep your feet warm with an iPad just doesn't work like that. You can't wear an iPad inside your shoes. You need socks. There's a, there's a role for socks in, in, in regards to the gifts that are given out. And some Christians need to learn to become content with who God has made them and what God has given to them. Because if we don't, we call into question the wisdom of God. God has placed the parts of the, of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be, He tells us in verse 18. We are who we are, and we are where we are by divine design. And to say, Lord, I, I want to be more like them, is to call into question the wisdom of the Creator and of our God. You know, we used to sing a chorus when we were young. I don't hear anybody singing it. Once in a while when no one's listening, I still sing it. If I were a butterfly, I'd thank you, Lord, that I could fly. And if I were a robin in the tree, I'd thank you, Lord, that I could sing or whatever a robin does. If I were a fuzzy, wuzzy bear, I thank you, Lord, for my fuzzy, wuzzy hair. But I just thank you, Father, for making me me. Because you gave me a heart and you gave me a smile and you gave me Jesus. And on and on the song goes. 
When will we ever become content with who we are? God doesn't expect you to be anyone else. When God made you, he broke the mold. He wants you just to be you for him. You know, I was assistant minister way back in, 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 in the early 90s, and I assisted someone for a couple of years. Great, great preacher. Almost as good as Robin. Not quite, but almost as good as Robin. Uh, in many senses, one of the best preachers I've listened to Sunday by Sunday um, on a consecutive basis, and I, I, I mean that about Robin. I enjoy coming to listen to Robin, so please don't misunderstand that. But I remember standing in the pulpit the second time round uh, and feeling so inadequate. How can I preach to this congregation that are listening, used to listening to this man open up the Scriptures every week to them? I mean, they'll be bored silly as I start to preach to them. I remember that day, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I sensed God saying to me, standing in the pulpit of a church, I sensed God saying to me, I don't expect you to be Him. I just want you to be you for me. And from that day to this, that's all I've tried to be, is just myself for God. And some of the Christians in the church at Corinth need to learn that. You don't, the foot doesn't need to be a hand. The foot is important, really important. Inferiority. The second issue is superiority. There were folk in the, and you sense the, the change in his logic here in verse 21, the I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. So your I can't say to the hand, I don't, I don't need you. Uh, you do need those parts that seem weaker, and, and the weaker parts of the body are indispensable. The, the eye can't say to the hand, you're irrelevant, you're unnecessary, we can get along fine without you. But that's what was happening in the context of the church at Corinth. The rich were coming into the church and they didn't think that they needed the poor. They didn't even think they needed to wait for the poor to be relieved from their duties as slaves and servants in the field. They arrived for the love feast and just launched straight in because they felt they didn't need others. And, and Paul is writing to them, and he, and he says, you do need them. The, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. I mean, it would be fun to be just all an eye, wouldn't it? You'd have great vision, 2020 vision. But that's about the only thing that you could do. But try and turn the page of your Bible with your eye. It's kind of difficult and painful. The eye needs the hand to turn the page so that it can read what's on the page. That's the point that Paul's making here. People who think that they are superior, people who think the church evolves around them, people who think that they are everything. You need the weaker brothers and sisters in the family of faith. You need them. They are important. And so, I, I used to tell my congregation on a regular basis, you know, if I died, I wouldn't be missed. They'd roll out another preacher here next Sunday. Don't think for a minute church would even be canceled. But if some of you are taking from this church, you'll be missed incredibly, much more than you could ever imagine, much more than you could ever imagine. One of the people that I missed most in the church that I served was a lady that couldn't get to church. But she prayed for me every single day, and any time I went to visit her, she would write with her notepad all the things that, she want, that, that I wanted her to pray for and pray about, and she'd pour over them day after day. And when she died, 
of uh, pulmonary fib fib fibros fibrosis. I missed her. You have no idea how much I missed her. I missed her more than I missed some of the people that I saw every single week in life. Because she filled such an integral role. Paul's saying to these folks who think that the lesser parts don't matter, he says they do matter. And it's interesting, the whole picture that he uses, you know, the, 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 the parts of the body that are weaker actually are given greater honor. And, and the point is simple. You can do without your hands and your arms, but you can't do without your intestines. You need them. You could live without your hands and your arms, but you can't live without your intestines. And, and that's the point that Paul is making. Gruesome, graphic, powerful, but that's the point. Don't underestimate the importance of anyone in the context of the church. And don't underestimate yourself as you serve God. Here, lastly, two practicalities and we're finished. Um, what does all of this mean? It means this. First of all, it means there should be no division. If we are an amalgamation of interdependent parts, and if I depend on you, and you depend on me, we can't afford to do without each other. And I think this is a letter to a church where there are members who are maybe thinking about checking out. You don't need me. I don't belong here. Yes, we do need you. Yes, you do belong here. We're dependent on you fulfilling your role and, and your task. There must be no division. Don't tear up the church. Don't divide the church. Don't carve up the church. Can you imagine how painful that would be for the human body to cause division? I, I um, had a, fell off a roof. I've fallen off a roof twice, and my wife won't let me climb ladders. I tried to climb one Saturday. She said no. I broke my ankle the first time in my leg and various other parts of my body. But anyway, my ankle. And in that hospital ward where they were screwing screws into it and so on, um, I met a chap who had his leg amputated from his knee down, and he told me that he had such incredible pains in his calf. But he didn't have a calf. He didn't have a leg. The leg was gone, but he had phantom pains. And the rest of his body had come out in sympathy with the body that had been part of the body that had been severed. That's the point which Paul is making. No division. Don't divide the church. Make sure the church stays together. That's the point that he's saying. And then finally, no division, no indifference. He says, You are in the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Verse 27. Each of you is in the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And then he goes on to discuss this whole list of various roles and responsibilities that are filled in the church. Apostles, um, some prophets, some and teachers, and all of that would need to be dealt with in another sermon which Robin will preach on sometime, and it's not my place to do that. Other than to say this, that it's, it seems to me that Paul is saying right at the end of this chapter, he's saying, listen, all of you have got an important role. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are preachers. Some of you are good at other things. But all of you have got at administration. Does everyone do this gift? No. Only some people have that gift, and only some people have this gift. That's the whole thrust of the end of the passage. Whatever your gift is, use it with all your might. That's, I think, what Paul is saying. 
Whatever your gift is, you are important. Whatever your gift is, whatever your role is in the body, make sure you do it with all your might. So some of you are here and you're small group leaders. And, and we want you to know that you're appreciated because you can provide a level of care and interaction that can't be provided in other ways. And, and small groups wouldn't happen without your input and your efforts. And some of you are here and you show up every morning, Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, to practice, to lead us in worship. And I know that because I dropped my daughter off at 8 o'clock. And uh, we want you to know that we appreciate that. That's important. Don't ever think that you're not important. You're incredibly important as you lead us in worship to extol the greatness of a great God who's worthy of all of our praise. We want those who stand in this pulpit and preach to us every Sunday. We appreciate you men as you do that. And we appreciate the effort that you've put in. And, and we want you to do it with all your might, whatever your role is. There are, there's a desk back there that's got more knobs on it than I have ever seen anywhere else in my entire life and buttons. And I could have so much fun on that. But I wouldn't have the first clue how to work it. But some of you men do. And you come here and you work it. And and, 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 and you take everybody's glares as something goes off with a bang and they all look back and, and you just take it in your stride and we want you to know that you're part of making this church function as a body because not all of us could do that and not all of us could do this. And, but there's a role and a place for all of us, isn't there? That's the point which Paul is making at the end of this chapter to this church. We depend on each other. And I end where I started this is the church. We are in this together. Let's do it with all of our might.